The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. and welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod. We're coming to you live from the Warner Center in Woodland Hills, California. This is the home for Autism Live. It is also the home for the Center for Autism and Related Disorders Corporate Headquarters, their Corporate World Headquarters. Thrilled to be here with you on this Thursday morning. I can't tell you how privileged I feel to be here. Uh, the last live show that we do, well, actually that's not entirely true, last live show in the studio that we do before the Thanksgiving holiday. And it's a, it's a hustle bustle time of year already, right? Boy, the traffic getting in here this morning was crazy. There is so much happening today um, because I, I guess today is supposed to be the last official day before people bug out for the holidays. So there are so many events scheduled for today that it's crazy. Um, we're going to be tonight live on the red carpet at the Ed Asner Family Center Gala. This is uh, a celebration of all things Ed. It's his birthday. And so we're going to celebrate him. The event is being hosted by Wanda Sykes with a special musical performance by Peter Frampton. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's just going to be a crazy, uh, wonderful event. And you know, when, when Ed Asner is someplace, he has a host. He's worked with everybody in Hollywood because he's been in this business forever and everybody loves and respects him. So there will be an amazing turnout on the red carpet, I have no doubt. Autism Live will be there live covering it tonight starting at 5 30 pacific time so um that's happening tonight very excited about that uh but so many things that are going on today in in the world so if you're like me and run around like a chicken with your head cut off uh let's all take a mindful moment and take a deep breath right uh but we have a big show coming up for you we're going to be with you live for the next uh two hours live unless i get a phone call from my son because he's not feeling well you know how that goes. Uh, I do want to say at the start of the show that um, last night was my son's scene night at school. He is taking a drama class. And thank you, Gabriel. He's showing you all the ways you can connect with us. Don't forget, you can go to autism-live.com. But more importantly, what we'd love is for all of you to check out our new website, which is in beta right now. In fact, we'd love for anybody who's watching to test out to see, can you see the live show? It's only live on the site when it's live. If you will go to uh, what's on your screen right there, HTTP colon backslash backslash beta dot autism hyphen live dot com. Right now, if you go there, it should say live if you're watching us live. And uh, if you click on the live, it should open up the screen and you should be able to see it. And we'd love to know from as many of you as, as possible if it's working for you. We can't switch from beta 
to regular until we know that enough people that it's working in enough places. So to help us out and do that. Uh, <clears throat> but you can still watch us at autism-live.com. But I was saying that it was my son's scene night last night. And so my husband and I were just so excited to go and, and see um, the scene that he was doing. And he was amazing. He was just, he's clearly an actor, which I think we kind of already knew. <clears throat> Although he did say on the ride home, he said, you know, that he thinks that voice acting is more what he wants to do. That's fine. Uh, like doing voiceover stuff and character voices. He's very good at that too. But it was... It was sort of a watershed moment for my husband and I because we were sitting there in the audience waiting for the performance to start. And I said to him, I said, oh my gosh, do you remember when um, it was about six months after our son had been diagnosed, so about 12 and a half years ago, and we were on a trip to go to my niece's wedding. We had just started ABA therapy. We were like a week into ABA therapy. Our son was three. And we were on our way to this wedding and everything that could have went wrong, went wrong. Uh, we got to the airport and they said that our plane was not safe to travel. They pulled it and said, we'll refund your tickets. And we said, no, we still need to go to the wedding. They said that you're going to have to fly standby. We waited all day long with a three-year-old with autism, um, a nonverbal tantruming three-year-old with autism at the LAX airport until they could, because they said it might just be an hour. And that ended up being like eight hours before we could get onto a flight. And uh, they got us onto a flight. But by then, pretty much all the snacks that I had brought with him that were supposed to last until we arrived at our destination were gone, all our GFCF snacks, and he was having some raucous uh, diarrhea. And I, so I'd gone through, he was still in diapers, I'd gone through every single diaper that we had, and, you know, and our baggage, by the way, had already gone. Uh, we, we didn't have access, we just had our carry-on stuff. Oh my gosh. So it's already miserable, but they get us on a flight. They said, we can get you to Denver, but you know, we can't get you further. And we thought, well, that'll get us that much closer, right? We'll, and we'll try to catch a connecting flight in Denver. We get to Denver. They have no connecting flights. They tell us they can get us there a week later. And we were still a good 12 hour drive away. And they said, you know, you better rent a car or else you're not going to get there. It was sort of like planes, trains and automobiles, but it wasn't Christmas. Thank goodness. It was the, the middle of the summer. It was right over the 4th of July holiday, which is why we couldn't get a flight. So miserable, tired, overwhelmed. Uh, they said, you better go get a hotel room and get a rental car. And we hadn't eaten. So we go to a restaurant and I, I, I mean, I, I have been pooed upon. I have pooed down my leg and in my shoe. I am practically giving my child a bath in the bathroom of a restaurant. And he's had some pretty heinous double D. And um, so I'm as miserable as I can be. And I come out of the bathroom and my husband is sitting at the, the he's ordered the food and he has an emotional moment. And I said, what's happening now? <laughs> you know, and he said, I just got it. I just got it that our child has autism. And, um, and he said, you know, the previous week he had gone to see a performance of To Kill a Mockingbird that a friend of ours was in. And there was a, a young man playing the role of Jem, which is what we call our son. And he was like 10 or 11 years old. And, 
and my husband was sitting there at this restaurant in Denver because he was exhausted. He'd finally been worn down. And he said, and I just realized that our son may never have the opportunity to be in a play and to know what that's like and to know the joy of that. And so he was having all of the emotion and he had come into some form of acceptance of our child has autism. In that moment, uh, which was my least favorite moment, I was like, really, I'm not prepared for this, right? But um, anyway, we, I said, you know, we're going to do everything that we can. That's why we're doing the ABA therapy, honey, because there's hope. We have to have hope and we will do whatever we can. And, if, you know, if he gets there, he gets there. And if he doesn't, he doesn't. But we'll know that we did everything that we could, right? And we're in this together. And we had this moment in the booth, the three of us, where we just were hanging on to each other for dear life before we then went to this horrible hotel, spent like three hours getting a nap and then driving 12 hours to get to this wedding, right? Um, but there we were last night, sitting in the audience as the lights were going down. And I said to my husband, look, Look where we are. Look where we are. My son was so hyped to do his performance. So, and he was great. He was truly great. Um, so I offer that up to you. It was a big, big deal last night. Uh, full circle, man, if I could go back in time and talk to that woman in that booth talking to her husband, um, you know, I believed, I said, we're going to do everything that we can and we'll get where we can. I believed but, you know, there was a big part of me that was like, man, we might be screwed here. Um, and and feeling all the emotions for, for that. Um, but we did the work. We put in the time. And yes, yes, we got lucky. We got super lucky. But you know that's why I'm here always. I want to help you to get as lucky as you can. Si se puede, right? We can do this. You hold on to me. I'll hold on to you. Let's get you what you need. This show is for everybody, whether you're a parent, a teacher, practitioner, you yourself are on the spectrum. We want to connect you to the services that you need because I know the difference it can make. I know firsthand. Okay, um, so I've taken up a lot of our time already, but you saw how you can connect with us. I always remind you at the start of the show that I'm your biggest cheerleader, but I am not an expert in the field of autism. We have got experts coming to you today, but I'm not one of them. I'm your cheerleader. I'm your telephone operator to hook you up with whoever I can, whatever way that I can, right? Um, but not an expert. Don't confuse me with that. Now, we do like to start every morning with something we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to, first we give you the actual definition, then we give you the watered down, the version of it, and then an explanation of it, so that hopefully you can connect with it. Uh, my favorite part is making fun of the explanation. I have to be honest with you because they often make no sense to me whatsoever. But the important thing is you may not get it the first time. You may not get it the first 10 times that we help you with a, a definition. But the more experience you get, the more things that you see happening, the more you will begin to understand it. And then at some point, the light bulb will go up and you go, oh, that's what that means. And when you get to there, you're going to see that you're going to make progress faster and it's going to save you money because you're not going to have to keep asking questions about it. And by the way, that's the same way that we look at teaching our kiddos on the spectrum. They may not get it the first time. They may not get it the first five times, but we know that the opportunity to get it over and over and over again will help them to eventually get it. Okay, so today's term is expressive language. Uh, and this is a term that we uh, use often and that we cycle through this jargon term because it's super important. You're going to hear people talking about this 
all the time. In school, they're going to talk about it. With your ABA providers, they're going to talk about it. So what is it? Expressive language is the production of language, including speech, signing, and or gestures for communication. Now, that's not a hard actual definition. I don't even have anything to make fun of, right? But let's uh, pare it down even more than that. Express expressive language is the child or individual's ability to communicate their needs. Um, and so, and their thoughts and their feelings and all of those things. So um, there's two different types of language that we'll hear talked about the most, and it's expressive and receptive. So I like to think of it as arrows. Expressive is what goes this way, and receptive is what comes this way. Anything that I'm shooting towards you, that's me being expressive. And I mean anything. So if I'm pointing at you, that's expressive, right? If I'm, you know, I can do this, that's expressive, right? But anything that's coming from me is expressive. Anything that I take in is receptive. And we see that someone's ability to be expressive is not equal and even to their ability to be receptive. And a lot of times we will see that well, first of all, we can change somebody's ability to be expressive or receptive, absolutely, because it's a skill like anything else. So, um, you know, we can help people to be more expressive, and it needs to be one of our, our hugest things that we accomplish first thing with somebody who's on the autism spectrum. And by the way, that doesn't matter what age they are. You could be working with a two-year-old and you wanna help them to be able to express their needs, right? In an appropriate way for a two-year-old. Uh, you could be working with a 47-year-old who needs help in expressing themselves, right? And we are all always, hopefully, getting better at expressing ourselves, right? None of us wants to stagnate, we're all living beings, um, but, it can make a ginormous difference. If you doubt this, I have a friend right now who's on vocal rest. And we were having, a, it was her birthday the other day, and we were having a conversation with her. And uh, she was saying how frustrating it is. And I said, man, I've had to be on vocal rest before where I had to wear like a notebook around my neck where I would write notes on it. And it always has helped me to be at the very least compassionate for people who are having to use assistive technology because, man, it's frustrating. At one point, I can remember, I, I took the notebook off and threw it across the room because people weren't listening to, and waiting for me to finish my thought before they were doing something. I was so frustrated, and I was an adult. Um, you know what I'm saying? So when we see individuals who are acting out, who don't have functional communication and a way to communicate with people, man, I always say it's no wonder because that is 68 kinds of frustrating. So um, we want to get functional communication. And I know, I know everybody wants language. I wanted language for my child. I am not trying to mamby-pamby it here. We all want to get to spoken language because it's, it's our preferred method of communicating, right? or it has been for many centuries. Uh, now, you know, we see our kids texting like crazy, uh, and uh, I don't know whether it will continue to be our preferred method of, but this is expressive communication as well. And so if you have a kiddo that is not as expressive as you want them to be, either through gesture or sign or using um, technology or a PEC system, um, or they're speaking, but they're not speaking in long enough sentences. This is what you're trying to do is you're trying to build that expressive language. 
uh, you probably have had at least one person around that child, whether it was you or somebody else, assume that if their expressive isn't where it needs to be, then probably the receptive isn't. That isn't always the case. Um, sometimes it is the case. Sometimes we've heard stories from kiddos that they couldn't get the expressive piece because they're receptive. It was like their, their receptor had some sort of difficulty. I think of uh, Carly Fleischman, Fleischman all the time, that she couldn't decode what people were saying to her. Um, so she had no desire to express anything, right? She had no language because she wasn't hearing language until around like 10, she started to hear things. And by that point, people had already given up and assumed that she had nothing going on, but she did. So for a few years, she listened and got all this language and eventually typed, please help me, my teeth hurt. And now she's written a book. She hosts the show. She's interviewed Channing Tatum. I mean, come on. Um, you know, did a whole two segments with, um, oh, and his name just skipped my, uh, my mind, uh, Stephen Colbert in The Night of Too Many Stars. Uh, so, you know, what an amazing young woman she is. But the receptive wasn't there, so the expressive couldn't be there. And then the receptive came in, and now she's very expressive. She does not speak vocally, but uh, she is very expressive, very expressive. And you can read her father's book, uh, Finding Carly's Voice, and see what it means to him to have his daughter be able to tell him what's going on. It's everything, right? I think we can all attest to that. Expressive language, super duper important. We can work on it. We can grow it. Uh, we'll talk about receptive language and how we can grow that at, at another time. In any case, we always have a question of the day for you. Today's question is, if you could say anything to anyone, what would you say and to whom would you say it? It's a pretty huge thing to ask, right? I was thinking about that this morning and I thought, oh, what if I could say anything to anyone, what would I say? And I think the, the list is endless. My thing is, um, and remember that expressive can be more than just saying, right? You could point to something. I, I have to be honest that if I could do anything, I would take a group of politicians uh, from both sides of the aisle, you know, so nonpartisan uh, from both sides of the aisle, and I would assign them to live with an autism family for two weeks, each one of them, and different autism families. Like somebody would have to go live with uh, someone who has uh, an adult who does not have functional communication living in their home, and somebody else they would go and live with an adult who is on the spectrum but is working. Um, and see what that is like and then send somebody to be with somebody who has twins who are three years old and just diagnosed on the spectrum and somebody else to go be with a six-year-old who's a girl on the spectrum and, and and all the things that that entails right and then afterwards you know two weeks they have to live with them for two weeks and afterwards have them sit down and talk to each other I'll bet you we wouldn't need to do anything else if we could just even 10, 10 politicians and put them in houses for two weeks. Wouldn't the world change exponentially? And I know you could say, well, the United States might change, but um, you know, when we change, then eventually the world changes too. So that's what I would like. So I would want to show them rather than speak to them. That's what I would like. Uh, but write in and tell us what you would like on Facebook or whatever. Now we always have a topic of the week and our topic this week is, can you guess? It's communication. Because I, I was just saying on a meeting to somebody today, I said, well, you know, I need you to tell me that because if you don't tell me that, how would I know? 
And I said, because I gave up mind reading to be an autism mom. And then we all laughed. Um, but you know, it's true. I'm not a mind reader and neither are you. And um, we don't know unless somebody communicates with us. And we can get frustrated when somebody isn't communicating with us or we can work on our communication skills. And that's always what I wanna do. I'm, I, I, clearly, I'm able to be expressive. Not necessarily the best, but, I, but I'm able to express, right? I can talk like nobody's business. Um, I'm working on the receptive side of things because that's a part of communication too. I tend to pick up on people's nonverbal cues more than other people, but I'm, I need to work more on listening and, and hearing because uh, a lot of times I jump to things. I fill in blanks way too fast. Uh, but communication, super duper key. Okay, we have got a big, big show for you and I turned the wrong page to the wrong thing. So I want to get this right because we have got a lineup of people for you that is absolutely impressive here. Okay, so in just a second, we're going to go to break and then we're going to come back with Michelle Labruzzi, who is our autism expert for the day. And um, so she's going to be answering some questions that you guys have sent in live then. Short break and then we've got Bonnie Yates answering a plethora of questions that you guys sent in. Can't wait for that. Then, do you see this fabulous thing that I have here with me? You know, it's Festival of Toy Time. And this thing is called the Touring Tumble. And we're going to have somebody from the Touring Tumble uh, company that's going to be joining us to talk about this amazing toy. I talked about this briefly yesterday. I'm in love with this toy. This is one of our award winners from our toy guide that is on our new website. Go and check it out. Uh, so Lisa Sai, Li, excuse me, Linda Sai is going to be with us to talk about this amazing toy and I'm going to demo it for you and guess what during the breaks guess who's going to play with the toy yes that would be me this is awesome this is a great great item for your kids that are a little bit older and then um, we're going to end off the show with having my good friend Anita Lesko with me and I don't do I have the book somewhere on my desk I don't know somewhere um, Anita is the co-author I can see it it's over there Anita is the co-author of uh, the book Temple Grandin the stories I tell my friends Anita spent months talking with Temple Grandin and putting this book together and if you want to know more about Temple Grandin and know the ins and outs it's the book in fact we it was one of our award winners for a gift to give to adults that are on the spectrum there it is um, really, really enjoyed this book. So Anita wrote this. She's going to be with us. We love it when she's on the show because um, she's so much fun. She is just fabulous. You're going to love her story and her love story. She and her husband, I'm sorry. We just like, it is, they are so in love. Uh, whenever I'm around them or talk to them, it's just like the best, the best. I always say we're going to end up with diabetes because it's so sweet. Uh, she, she is there. What a great relationship. In any case, all of that plus more, we're going to try to squeeze in a mindful moment, uh, but let's everybody take a breath whenever we can. All right. Uh, stick with us. We're going to be right back and, uh, joining us will be Michelle Labruzzi. Stick with us. Our twins, Justin and Jessica, were premature babies. 
So we always were very conscientious of their development, but I think it was probably 15 months, Justin started getting really obsessive compulsive with opening and closing doors. And Justin started tantruming a lot too. These would be major tantrums that were just completely debilitating to the family. Having to take them out of the house, put them in the car, drive around, just to calm them down. Yeah, I remember a breaking point and just thinking, you know what, we gotta do something, this is not right. Once we were on the track to getting a diagnosis for autism, we started sharing that with our close friends and family. It just so happens that somebody from our older daughter's private school called us out of the blue. She introduced herself and she says, I know that recovery is possible. Those words so early in our journey were a guiding force for us. As we got more educated in knowing what is effective therapies for kids with autism, we realized quality ABA is vital to that progress. That's where we decided that CARD was the right provider for us and for our son. Justin responded very well to therapy. The behaviors were tracked and we saw that what was being instituted was working. Justin, what are you doing? You are coloring, good for you. There was real progress and it was progress that was tangible. I just remember when he, he made a sentence, he said a sentence, we were just happy about it, going, no way, I can't believe you just did that. What's the date? The 18th. 18th of what month? December. Oh, what year is it? 2007. Oh, okay, so how old are you today then? The therapies that CARD did for Justin didn't just impact his daily living skills, but it was a positive impact on our entire family. I'm Justin. I am in fourth grade. I like playing video games sometimes. My dream to build a teleporter machine. Like sometimes if like we're on an airplane and it's like really long, you guys just say, oh, hurry up with that teleporter machine. I'm waiting on you. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I just started Friday Night Lights. This is our third game of the season, and um, it's pretty fun. You have to be fast. We attribute so much of Justin's recovery to CARD. Their goal was the same as our goal. We wanted Justin recovered. June 12, 2008 is a day that I celebrate every year because that is the day that Justin was deemed recovered from autism. And Dr. Doreen Grandpiche met with us, looked at him and just said, he's brilliant. You need to keep his mind stimulated because he's very smart and he has no residual traits of autism. Welcome back to Autism Live. I'm having such a good time playing with my touring tumble here that we're going to show you how to play with later on. I told you I'm going to play with it during the breaks. Um, it's a good time. But joining us, let's get down to business, right? You guys want the good stuff. Um, joining us via Skype right now is Michelle Labruzzi. I see I had it right and then I lost it all entirely. Michelle Labruzzi. There we go. Uh, and she is joining us right now from Riverside. But Michelle, welcome to the show. 
Thank you. And Good tell us uh, a little bit about, you work for the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. Tell us a little bit about your role and which offices you help to supervise. Yeah, um, I am a regional manager at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. I oversee specifically our Southern California Inland Empire locations. So we have offices in California, California, where I am today, um, Ontario, Marina Valley, Menifee, and Temecula. Um, and we're hoping to open a Palm Desert office soon to support some families out there. Um, so that'll be really great too. Okay. Your, your audio is breaking up a little bit, so I think, Gabriel, should we take a pause and get her on the phone? All right, so we're going to go to a break because we want you to be able to hear what Michelle says. So we're going to go quickly to a break. We're going to get her on the phone, and we'll be right back. Stick with us. Hey, I'm Candace Cameron Bray. Tom Bergeron. You're watching Autism Live. And you're watching Autism Live. And you're watching Autism Live. You're watching Autism Live. If you're watching Autism Live, chances are you care about the life of someone or perhaps many people living with autism. You spend countless hours trying to make a better life for them. It may not have been easy for you to watch the show today. You know, sometimes you could be juggling so many balls in the air, you feel like a circus performer. I remember recently saying to a friend that as the mother of a son with autism, plus all the other challenges in my life, I feel like I'm carrying a tray full of glasses of water and that if one of them topples over, the whole thing is going to go crashing down. This empowerment moment is all about you. Now, I'm not a doctor or a therapist, but over the last nine years in my autism journey, I've learned some things that have helped me shift from being a victim to having hope. See, I've been in that place, down on the kitchen floor, on my knees, praying for answers of what happened to my child. I've been in that place covered with blood and tears after one of Wyatt's giant tantrums where I said, where has my fairy tale life gone? I have a feeling you're a member of that kitchen floor club too. It's been a process, but a victim to becoming an advocate for my son Wyatt and for many others as the executive director of ACT Today, or Autism Care and Treatment Today. Let's start with reframing the way you think about yourself and your child. I want you to say after me, I'm an activist. That's right, I'm an activist. Because just by watching this program, you are taking positive steps to make the world a better place for your child or someone else living with autism. You are a positive force of action in the world. I want you to start thinking of your so-called disability as an opportunity because it's within our challenges that our greatness is revealed. That's where we find our courage and resiliency. And parenting a child with autism is one of the greatest challenges a parent can face. You have the choice to see this as a journey of self-discovery. Some people take expeditions to climb Mount Everest to see what they're made of. You don't have to travel that far. 
because parenting a child with autism is an expedition of the soul. Until next time, stay strong and keep the faith. Welcome back. And as promised, we have Michelle Labruzzi joining us. We've got audio on the phone and uh, we've got her video on the Skype. So Michelle, thank you for being patient with us. No problem. Uh, and so we had asked you which offices you served and maybe you would tell us again so that uh, people could actually hear you. Moreno Valley, California, Ontario, uh, Menifee, and Temecula, California. And then we are looking to open a Palm Desert office soon, too, to support the families out there. I think the plan is to open it in December or January. How fabulous. And you were telling me yeah. uh, during the break, how long have you worked at CARD? Um, I've been at CARD for 11 years, so I've really grown up at the company. I started as a therapist and then became a BCBA, a board certified behavior analyst, and now I'm a regional manager. Well, uh, we love that. And uh, another good reason to, if people are looking for jobs, CARD is always hiring. And what Definitely. a wonderful way to have a career. So thank you so much for being with our families and working so hard. Uh, I've got a bunch of questions for you, so I'm going to jump right in. My ch grandchild does not want to clean up when he pees in his pants. What to do when that happens? What do I do when he refuses to dress up for school and makes us late for school? And what to do if he's throwing things like a cup of juice? So we love that this is a grandma writing in. Michelle, what, what do we say to her? say that because I think a lot of times especially I'm going to make a, a generalization here and then everybody can be <laughs> offended but uh, but the older that I you know and I'm on the older side of things too I think the older that people are when they ask these questions the more the expectation that they're looking for is that you'll say punish them 
that there's a consequence for it and punish them. And what I love is when behaviorists like yourself say, so let's up the praise. And in the beginning, I remember the first time somebody said this to me when I said, you know, I can't get him to do what I want him to do. And, and they said, up the praise. And I was like, no, I think you heard me wrong. What I was saying is I can't get him to do what I want him to do. And they were like, yeah, up the praise. No, 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 no. He's not doing what I want him to do. Yes, no, you need to praise him more often when he does do the things you want him to do. And I just, I, I, it was just talk about communication, miscommunication. I kept being like, no, you don't understand what I'm asking. But the truth of the matter is, is that when I finally stopped and they said, no, that's literally what we mean, up the praise, I was amazed because I did not expect to see what happened, which is that my child became more compliant. It doesn't, the math on it, because of the way I was raised, doesn't quite work. Um, and so I really want to lovingly say to grandparents and, and people who were not raised this way, I know it's a whole other way of looking at things, but guess what? It works and they even have data on it. <laughs> So uh, up the praise, and then hopefully you won't have all these things that are they're going on. And obviously, Michelle, we would hope that uh, this grandparent would carry back the message that if they had an ABA team working on this, so much the better, right? Definitely, yes. Yeah. yeah, it's one thing. I mean, we all need to learn how to do this. The parents need to learn how to do it. The grandparents need to learn how to do it. But having the ABA team there setting it in motion and helping us to understand it, there's nothing better. Um, literally nothing better. The Surgeon General has said so. So it's this is the gold standard of treatment for autism. So hopefully that grandmother, if you're not already getting ABA, uh, get on a waiting list immediately and get that started. Okay, Michelle, we're going to move on to the next one, which is what do you do while you're waiting to have your child officially diagnosed? That's a hard time. That's a really good question. I know like for us if you're like pursuing card services or any ABA services um, we always welcome any of our families even if they're waiting for that diagnosis but they know that they want to start ABA services for their child is to get started with the admissions process so you can kind of start getting your information in we have like a parent portal for our card family so you can get all the other documents while you're still waiting for that diagnosis to happen because then what can happen is you can be invited to like parent roundtables that we do in the community on a monthly basis like we're offering like different training components like uh, behavior management support kind of like what we talked about with the grandmother earlier um, so that's something you can kind of already be in our system and uh, future card parents we can invite you to those things as well as like open houses or community events um, in regards to just in general I would say you can definitely reach out to you know your local depending on the age of your child the school district because they might be able to give you some supports while you're waiting for that diagnosis to start ABA um, you might be able to reach out to your regional center um, in our area in the Inland Empire, we have a resource group called the Autism Society of the Inland Empire, and there are a lot of those autism societies around the country. So they have a really great website that just kind of has tons of just community supports and groups. So that's always a good place to start, too, um, just so you can kind of get involved and learn a little bit more while you're waiting for that diagnosis, because I know sometimes it can be a long wait list depending on where you are. Um, and then what else? The other things, too, at least at CARD, is we have you know, our intensive behavioral training, which is a, like, you can kind of sign up for, like, parent training courses to get additional support while you're waiting to start. Um, I, so I love that. I and, I, and I want to say that that training that is available to our parents, it's actually available to everyone around the world if you go to ibehavioraltraining.com. Um, and and those tr it's the same trainings you would get 
uh, if you were a card parent. So ibehavioraltraining.com. They're very inexpensive. If you even wanted to get trained to be, um, you could be trained to be a registered behavior technician or you could train to be a BCAT, which is a board certified autism technician. Um, you know, it's a little, I don't think it's the route that most parents go, but you know, it, there are trainings available on ibehavioraltraining.com that you could do that are um, 40 hours. So think about that. If you did, you know, eight hours every weekend, over the period of time that you're waiting to be diagnosed, by the time your child was diagnosed, you could be a registered behavior technician. And man, you'd be in, you'd be in a good place to start your child um, doing the therapies that they need to do. You would have learned a lot. And the whole RBT program for a non-card parent is less than $400. So that's less than your average college class. And you'll take, I, I think it's like... Um, I don't know. It's like 20 different modules. It's, it's a pretty good thing. So thanks for bringing that up, Michelle. Anything else? Because I kind of yeah. interrupted you. Uh, no, I think I kind of ran out of things to <laughs> offer. Those are the things <laughs> that the top of my head. So many things, though, that you can do. I think um, the, the world has paid attention in the last 10 years and given parents things and ways that they can... Uh, you don't have to be stagnant. Uh, it used to be that you would have to sit and languish waiting for the diagnosis and then languishing on the waiting list. And we want to encourage people not to do that anymore. There are things that you can do. Um, I think real quick too, Shannon, I was yeah. just thinking, I, I know in our area we have very specific, some of the funding sources work specifically with like um, diagnostic centers and those wait lists can be really long. So I do urge families to, to if you get on a wait list somewhere that's local, continue to research and see if there's any referrals for other areas that you're willing to go to to get the diagnosis so you don't have to just wait at that one place. That's a great tip. Fabulous tip. Okay, our last question is, what is a control stimulus? Yeah, that's a fun question. It's very, like, terminology-specific. Um, maybe we can break it down, too, and talk about just what stimuli is. Um, so, like, for us, when we do ABA, stimuli in general can be anything that leads to, like, a certain response, right, um, or a change in the environment. So when, when we talk about stimulus control, we're talking about, at least in my uh, knowledge and hopefully what this uh, person is talking about, um, is how to, like, transfer that stimulus control. So we really work on you know, presenting like a discriminative stimulus or an SD. So the phone ringing is an example of an SD. Um, and that usually leads to somebody answering the phone. Where when the phone's not ringing, it won't lead to that. So that's really what we focus on when it comes to behavior change. Um, so ways that we can kind of transfer that stimulus control where maybe we have a client who's able to answer questions about his, his name and his phone number and his address um, with the therapist. Now we want to ensure that he can transfer that to like a parent when they ask or transfer to a teacher when they ask um, and make it like controlled. So some of the ways that we can do that too is like fading our prompts. We talked earlier about kind of like prompting and helping to elicit that response. Um, so what we can do is maybe we start with what's your phone number and we have a visual of the phone number. And then our goal to, is to fade that out to transfer to now you just present the stimulus, what's your phone number, and the client's able to answer that question, and they're able to answer it across different environments and different people. Okay, so that answers the question. So stimulus control means that if, if let's say that you train me so that every time I see a purple cup, I take a drink. Um, that's not a useful uh, thing, but let's say that that's what it is. <laughs> sure. 
um, right? But um, so that every time you would want to get it so, to the point where that every time I saw the purple cup, I would know that I can pick it up and take a drink. Use the example of the phone. So that's that means that uh, when the stimulus is there, that we behave in a certain way, correct? Exactly. Okay. Yep. Um, and yeah. then over time, we may want to, as you said, transfer that from one thing to another. So for things like when it, when a child goes to school and the teacher says, "Let's take out your books and turn to page 12, um, we would we would want them to have the same response every time that they hear the, the teacher say, "Take out your books and turn to a page." Exactly, and then you know that that stimulus kind of has fallen under stimulus control. Okay, that makes a certain amount of sense to me. All right. <laughs> Well, Michelle, we want to thank you so much for all the work that you do with all the kiddos that you do. And uh, please say hi to everybody there in uh, the Inland Empire. And thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You guys are doing great. Well, you're doing great, too. And have happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> oh, yeah, you too. It's here already. It is. It's, it's a week from today. All right. Uh, thank you so much for being with us. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. So that was Michelle Labruzzi, and uh, she's one of our experts here at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. If you just tuned in and you're seeing this board that I have here that's been in the way of everything, that, but it's so cool, uh, and I changed some of my little pegs so that they wouldn't be green because we work on a green screen and so you can see them better. This is the Touring Tumble, and we're going to be talking about this later on because I'm going to be playing with it during the breaks, and then we're going to demonstrate it. And we've got somebody from the Touring Tumble company who's going to be with us in the second hour. But right now we're going to take a break and then we're going to get Bonnie Yates on the phone here and she's going to be answering your questions as well so stick with us. Do you provide care services to someone with autism? Recently more and more children are being diagnosed with the condition and getting the support they need as awareness grows but what happens to these children as they grow up? It's estimated that over half a million youth with autism will turn 18 in the next decade and they'll be faced with a very difficult reality. As children with autism grow up, their services start to disappear or become very difficult to access. Things like medical care, mental health counseling, vocational training, and more. All services that are still desperately needed. The loss of support that youth with autism face as they grow up is so severe that it's referred to in the autism community as falling off a cliff. Adults with autism need the same level of support they had as children to avoid falling off the services cliff. Introducing Skills Living, the web-based software designed specifically to help transitioning youth and adults with autism so they can avoid the cliff and instead fly to success. With Skills Living, help your learner with autism develop the skills they need in all the critical areas of adult life, including self-control, planning, and problem-solving. Effective communication, performing life skill tasks for independent living, acquiring and maintaining employment or other meaningful activities, developing and maintaining social skills and relationships, accessing transportation and public services, and being safe. Skills Living includes a comprehensive assessment, a data collection mobile app, behavior intervention plan builder, and automatic progress reporting. It also provides a complete curriculum addressing 16 key areas spanning the entire range of functioning adulthood. Skills Living is easy to use and can be implemented by schools, parents, and autism service providers. 
Call or click today for your free demo and see how Skills Living can help your learner with autism avoid the cliff and instead reach their fullest potential. Skills Living. Wish. Learn. Become. You say hi, we say hi. Let's get right. Let's get right. Let's get, let's get, 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 let's get right. Hey, welcome back to Autism Live. I'm Lisa Ackerman. I've got Kristen Selby Gonzalez here with me today. And the feedback, overwhelmingly, oh, chicken nuggets! It's probably one of the easiest recipes on the planet. Well, we know all of our kids love <laughs> chicken nuggets. Oh, let's talk about corn. GMOs, uh, genetically modified foods, are no bueno for a lot of folks, and we agree. So um, I've actually called the manufacturers to make sure these are GMO-free product. Really simply, what I did with the um, the cornflakes is just the old-fashioned crush away. Um, that's just the easiest way. Maybe you can crush that a little well, bit for me. That's something our kids can help us with. Yeah. Too, doing cooking with them. Well, and fine motor yeah, improvement. Absolutely. Boom. <laughs> sensory issues. Boom. A lot of people will over-season. Uh, they season for adults. So from the standpoint of just putting it in enough flavor. Now that we got our. Uh, Base our coating and I'm going to work on how we coat the chicken. Now, Kristen, was Jack's ever allergic to eggs? He has been. There's a lot of options with eggs. Don't you know that you can also look at duck eggs, really? quail eggs, and other types of eggs that even though they look the same in the bowl, they're different on the allergy panel. Let's say you find out you're allergic to every egg on the planet. You can use a little bit of water and arrowroot starch. I've got a, a high-grade stainless steel, non-Teflon frying pan. I'm using high-heat oil, getting all ready to go. So we're just really easily going in and coating the chicken. Now, when I'm flipping these, Lisa, um, do I flip over and over, or do I just cook one side and then the other? You know, I prefer to cook one side, because what happens is the good coating that you spent all this time crushing oh. for me falls off. Gotcha. Bonus. About how long um, do you cook on each side? About four minutes on each side okay. will do it. And okay. I think you're almost there. Yeah, you're good. That you're golden. Good. Fantastic. So if you want to take sure. them out. So now that we got the last batch in, let me take you through what these finished babies look like. Like I said, you're going to have some happy families um, out there wanting to eat this. This is so easy. You saw how quickly we got in and done. Just want to remind everyone, we really want feedback at Autism Live and want to know what you want to see next. So if you've got an idea, a recipe you want us to convert um, or to talk about a particular topic, we'd love to hear from you. You could do that at autismlive at gmail.com or Facebook land. We're all on Facebook, facebook.com slash autismlive. And then again, there's already thousands of recipes waiting for your eyeballs to go cruise over on the TACA website. We'll look forward to seeing you next time on Autism Live. Thanks for joining us. to start Autism Works Now as a small business because 90% of individuals with autism and related disabilities are not employed after graduating from high school. Our mission at Autism Works Now is to create job opportunities for spectrum youth and kids through awareness and education. 
Welcome back to Autism Live. We have joining us via Skype and telephone, Bonnie Yates, special education attorney extraordinaire and recent birthday girl. We were just wishing her a happy birthday and want to make sure we do it on the air because Bonnie's birthday was yesterday and Bonnie's very special to us. So happy birthday, Bonnie. Thank you. It was a very happy birthday. I think I've decided that the closer one gets to kind of the end of the life trajectory, the more you appreciate what an amazing gift it is, you know. It is an amazing thing. And uh, and I, I love that it, it seems like the older we get, the more that people celebrate you. So we want to celebrate you today. Happy birthday. Well, I was really well feted yesterday, and I was so busy that I haven't even responded to all the lovely communication, but it's, it's going to happen. Fabulous. My goal is today. Oh, I love it. And Bonnie is coming us, to us uh, via the law firm of Hirji and Chow, which we absolutely adore and appreciate them for giving this this time with Bonnie. She's a special education attorney, and she donates this time to answer questions that you guys have sent in. So, Bonnie, tell us a little bit about Hirji and Chow, and then give us the disclaimer. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say first that I donate this time because the questions you guys ask. Uh, a, make me a better lawyer, and B, teach me about stuff that I'm supposed to know and I don't, and today's a good example. So uh, here, Jean Chow is a special education disability discrimination law firm in Southern California. Um, we represent kids, you know, from birth, basically, until death, if they have regional center services. We just did a regional center hearing for a 54-year-old man trying to get him eligibility after several rounds of um, not being successful on his own. Um, we do all disabilities. We do all ages. We do, you know, all education-related problems. If we can't help you, we can often find somebody who can help you. So um, if you want to, you know, talk to us, give us a call. The, the phone number is 310-391-0330. And the website is Lawyer for Children, the number four. So you can check out their great website. It's a wonderful resource. And then the disclaimer, Miss Bonnie. Oh, the disclaimer. Thank you. The disclaimer is we're answering questions of general interest in a general way under California and federal law for your specific question about your specific problem. If you really, you know, think you need to take legal action, consult an attorney in your in your own state. And there are really good attorneys at www.copaa.net. Those are members of the California. Oh, what is it called? The California Association of Parent Attorneys and Advocates, and, and those are people that are very active in moving the law forward in the disability uh, special ed community. Fabulous. And so, so I'm going to jump in with questions then, because we have a lot of questions to cover. Let's see how much we can Okay. Okay, so. Can I, can I add one more disclaimer? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I, I need to say the strange art on the walls in this room is entirely the responsibility of my husband, and I don't take any responsibility for any of it. <laughs> All right. So. All right. Well, I, I love that every time you're on with us, Bonnie, you sometimes you're at the law firm and sometimes you are at home. But when you're at home, it's from a different room. I swear every time I think you've done this with us probably 40 or 50 times. And I swear it's from a different angle in a different room. I don't think you've duplicated twice. 
It's always like very interesting, eclectic art. So no matter where you are, I think it speaks volumes. Well, okay. the apple doesn't fall very far from the tree in this family is yeah. all I can say about that. I anyway. love that. Uh, okay, so I'm going to jump into this first question here. Right. Uh, somebody wrote in and said, we are losing our home to foreclosure. And now the school district is telling us if we move to the apartment we're looking at, it is out of district and we will have to send our child to another school, get another one-on-one -on -one aid and start our fight all over again. I just no. I just no. have that much, and, and they write, I just don't have that much fight left in me. The line for the district zoning literally is across the street. I have looked and can't find anything we can afford in the district. Can they make, uh, can't they make an exception? So Miss Bonnie, what you think? Well, it doesn't matter what I think. What matters is that the federal government thinks that there's a big exception in the form of a program it created called the McKinney-Vento Act. And, you know, I thought until this question was asked that it was strictly limited to California, and I knew that it protected children and families who became homeless, but I didn't know much more than that. So this is a great example of Autism Live teaching me. So we're going to talk about... Uh, the problem of homelessness and related problems. So you can see that one of the things that the problem of homelessness touches on is, is the question of residency. Um, we could probably do a show soon and talk about residency since it's a more complicated issue than people perhaps think. Um, normally your ability to be in a district is determined by your residing within the district's geographical boundaries. Um, so McKinney-Vento sets up um, an exception to the rule that if you're not a resident of the district, you can't go to school there. Now, there are exceptions to this. We know there are like schools of choice and there are, you know, charter schools and there are, you know, we're not talking about we're talking about under the normal circumstances with a normal public school, what your rights are. I also wanted to mention, and I never have on this show, and that, you know, there's other ways to get permission to go to a school that's not your neighborhood school or a district school. There's the work permit, which is uh, a confusing area decided in some measure by state law and then also by board policy in the particular district. There's also something called a caregiver affidavit where you essentially, without having to go to court or anything, you give another family member or a trusted friend who lives in a district where your child uh, potentially could go to school, you give them some educational rights and responsibility for them, and that gives you permission to enroll them in that district. Now, that's a really well-kept secret and something else that we could talk about in another context. But I think the first time I heard McKinney-Vento mentioned, it was, of course, you know, Rosa Hirschi, who is kind of like the, you know, the, the fount of all kinds of really, you know, important information. Um, so, you know, we had a client. She was a housekeeper. She took her children um, and enrolled them in the school where she worked uh, at the home, in other words, let's say the family's uh, home was in the Los Angeles Unified School District, although it wasn't, and she was living outside a district. 
because of her status in that household, you know, 40 hours a week or something, her children were allowed to go to the neighborhood school right near the house. So what happened was, I think the employer moved or um, the job ceased to exist. And all of a sudden, she's got two kids, one of whom is in special ed and one of whom is in regular ed. And there was a nasty little thing that went down where the district agreed to give the regular ed kiddo a permit, but not the special ed kid a permit. And so McKinney-Vento would apply there just as it would apply for your listener, Shannon, who's losing her house due to foreclosure. The federal government decided that the issue of homelessness was really important and bore upon lots of other issues for students. And so they crafted something that I think is a pretty far-reaching piece of really positive legislation, and here's how it works, okay? So first of all, what does it mean, you know, uh, are you homeless if, you, if you're losing your house to foreclosure? And the answer to that is absolutely yes. The definition of homeless that McKinney-Vento employs is very broad. It means you have no fixed, regular, or adequate nighttime residence. You're living with a friend or relative because you lost your home, or your family's having temporary financial problems, so maybe you haven't been evicted, but maybe you're moving out before you get evicted so it doesn't wreck your next, you know, attempt to move in somewhere. Um, or you're staying in a motel, a campground, or a trailer park because you have nowhere to go. Or you're living in a shelter, or you're, you're uh, living in uh, subsidized housing, or you're living in places not usually used for sleeping, or you are awaiting foster care placement, or your, your parents have abandoned you, or they're in the hospital and can't help you. So that's going to be pretty much all students, all families, I think, can fit into the McKinney-Vento uh, framework. Uh, and, and if you are what they call an unaccompanied youth, you are entitled to specific su supports that are available through McKinney-Vento. So if you are asked to leave your home, if you're a runaway, if your parents are, I think I said this already, but in jail, hospital, or in rehab, um, you're an unaccompanied youth, and they have to give you basically a school liaison person at school that will help you with housing and your educational needs. So you can't be kept out of school just because there's no responsible adult to, to enroll you. This um, facilitator, school-based facilitator, has to help you do all that. Now, apparently, lots of people used McKinney-Vento during Hurricane Katrina. You can see how that would fit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you can't deny somebody the ability to access McKinney-Vento if they don't have documentation showing that they're legal residents in the United States. So the way it works is the federal government has directed the states to set up a statewide and a district-wide liaison program. So each school has a coordinator for homelessness. And they have a duty to post stuff in public places and locate and enroll students who are homeless and make sure that they have an equal opportunity to succeed. So, you know, as I was reading this, it's, it's, it's anticipating some of the problems that you have in special ed in terms of the standard, uh, in terms of kind of stay put, things like that. So this, this liaison has a lot of responsibility. Um, 
they have to make sure that the student receives appropriate services, including transportation and special education, or preschool or English language, uh, you know, ESL support or vocab support, which would be, you know, like community-based instruction for an older student. Um, they have to make medical referrals where appropriate, and they have to insist with enrollment uh, and transportation. And if there are disagreements with the school, they are expected to assist in arriving at a speedy resolution. And while that dispute is pending, the student remains in the public school. They're also required to help get records, and they are supervised by a state superintendent, you know, superintendent or supervisor who takes complaints and, and takes data and, and liaisons with all the individual schools. So the, the, the policy reasons for having McKinney-Vento are that it has been shown that you do better as a student if you remain in your school for continuity purposes than if you move around a lot. Um, your school of origin is deemed to be the last place you were enrolled in. Um, and you have, uh, once you do uh, invoke McKinney-Vento, it stays in place until you become permanently housed, and then from that point you have one year. So that's kind of the important information that the listeners have probably been waiting for. It gives you, you know, essentially all the time you need to reasonably relocate plus a year. So that gives you a bunch of time in which to figure out what you need to do. So I have a stupid um, question, Bonnie. Um, yeah. So for this, it, for, uh, the way I read this question, they're about to move, that they're, the house is being foreclosed on, and that they have identified an apartment that is across the street from the district. So should they, do they need to file something with the school district that says McKinney-Vento now before they sign the lease on the new apartment? Because once they sign the lease on the new apartment, doesn't that, in effect, make them not homeless? Well, but then they'd have a year. But is the year only after they have claimed McKinney-Vento or no? Everybody gets well, McKinney. Well, I think they should let the district know right now that they're homeless. Okay. And that they're looking for a place to live and that they've identified a place to live, but they don't know if they're going to get it. I mean, okay, in California, right. you don't know That's that you're going to get a rental. And also, they could say, this is a really, this is temporary housing. We don't know how long we're going to be here. We go. don't know how long we're going to be able to afford this. Um, Absolutely. And, and, I mean, a year is a long time, but if they can't afford anything in the district, then they don't think they're going to be in the future. I mean, I guess they could take advantage of that year, and then if they can't afford the rent anymore where they're living, I don't think you have to really prove that, then maybe be eligible for another year because maybe you become homeless again. So maybe this is the question that I needed to ask, which is, is that all you have to do is evoke McKinney-Vento, or do you have to fill out papers, or, do, you know, is it just a thing where you go, no, I'm claiming McKinney-Vento? Well, you know, it's probably district by district, but the states can't make laws in this respect that are more um, narrow than the feds, so I don't think they require much. I mean, that's a good question. I don't actually know the answer to it. Um, it might be by individual board policy. But I think for these people, they should say, We're homeless. I, I need more facts. Like, do you think you're going to be able to permanently occupy this apartment, or is it bad, and what are the reasons? And 
Is the school district where they're moving a bad school district? I mean, another exception to the general rule is if you're coming from New York to, to, to California, you're obviously not going to be able to stay in your New York school for a year. They're going to have to figure something out right. to help you. Okay. So, okay, so here's some information for you. I forgot I wrote this down. Um, they have to get you set up and provide transportation, and they must immediately enroll you if you're homeless, notwithstanding that you have no medical records, no academic records, no proof of residency, no um, obvious parent or legal guardian with you to enroll you, and no birth certificate. So I had, um, I had this kind of thing going on with a, 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 a poor uh, woman, I don't mean I mean, economically, she was disadvantaged, uh-huh. and she she was she I, I saw because her her son was a you know was a difficult teenager. He was doing some back and forth stuff between school districts. I ended up in a situation where the the special ed director was actually leaving at the end of the year, and I think he was kind of being kind to me. So when the issue came up during like a resolution session or mediation mediation he says well they haven't been living in the district they've been living in the adjoining district i said yeah they're homeless and uh he dropped it wow so anyway the federal rule can't be trumped by state rules you have to you know receive the same services as a non-homeless student um and the districts that have policies that are barriers to education under these circumstances they have to change their policies so there's also apparently certain charter schools that that are homeless only charter schools or certain classrooms and homeless shelters those are mostly against the law um they you know they have to give equal access to programs and services and that includes by the way breakfast and lunch without uh, paperwork wow if you're hungry you get breakfast and lunch if you're homeless. We already talked about access to preschool and special education. There's also Title I money available if you need additional counseling. And then FERPA presents your, protects your privacy, so the district cannot talk to other people about the fact that you're homeless. Nice. That's private. Nice. Okay? They can't, refu- they can't reveal it to third parties. So let's say you have a, you have a dispute with the school district about homelessness status, and you can't work it out. Um, there's an appeal process, and you basically appeal, and the district has to explain to you why they're rejecting your application, and they have to enroll you in the desired school and give you all the necessary services during the time that they are um, working this out, and it then would be referred to the liaison to um, quickly resolve it. And there's even some information in the uh, goodie that I sent you about how to contact the state coordinator and lawyers that are potentially available for free legal services with respect to homelessness. So the U.S. Department of Ed's phone number, if you had such questions, is 202-260-4412, 202-260-4412. Shannon will post the goodie. It should already be up we, on Facebook right now. Okay, so I think we basically, like, beat the heck out of that question. That's amazing, though. Bonnie, that's super good information. That's going to help a whole lot of people. Um, So fabulous. 
now the our Facebook has the right. We've got the wrong lower third up there uh, for a second, Gabriel. Our Facebook will have the goodie that Bonnie was referring to on our Facebook. Okay, moving on to the next question. We are hearing that schools in different states are funding one-to-one -one aids with Medicaid reimbursement and insurance to some extent. Are you seeing this too? Are they doing it in California, and how does it work? is something that I think my re my response to that was to say in a few cases I'm seeing school districts use allow insurance funded ABA into the classroom very very few I haven't heard anything about school districts using the EPS DT money um, but it would be a good thing if that was starting to happen okay. if that's something people want to know more about I can look into it for next okay. week our next question, what are parents' rights regarding substitutes? My daughter, uh, yeah, my daughter is in a special day class and her teacher has been absent a lot this year. It's always someone different, I never know. Sometimes they come in at the half day. It doesn't seem like any of them have any training. They don't know my daughter's IEP or how to implement her BIP. She had a meltdown the other day because a sub didn't follow the BIP and it escalated. I fear that eventually it will be a safety issue. Issue, excuse me. Don't we have any right to know? If I knew when there was a sub, I would just keep her home. Okay. Well, there's no right. There are laws concerning how many days a year a district can have a long-term sub for. I didn't look those up. Um, it might be a couple of months. And there's no rule against having uh, substitute teachers, uh, successive ones, during a particular school year. And I'm really sorry to say that in a, in a place like Compton where there's so much dysfunction and um, the teachers are really in bad straits there, that you know you have substitute after substitute after substitute. Yeah. But here's the, the, here's the way that you um, address it. At a certain point, it becomes a denial of faith yeah. because those substitute teachers are not going to meaningfully affect the or implement the IEP, and that's going to cause regression or no progress, and that's how you that's how you get to the issue. It's a due process issue. It's a failure to offer faith and okay. failure to implement the IEP. Interesting. I would never have thought of it that way, but of course that's what that is. All right. Well, we're almost out of time. Do you want to tackle the next question or save it for two weeks from now? What does it say? It is about uh, the school offering. My son's school is offering him OT services two times a week, where he does, where he uh, goes to the OT room class, classroom. Uh, uh, it's the it's the one about the there's yeah, testing happening. It's the same question. Is it is is the district allowed to schedule your related services in a way that makes you tank in another class? And the answer to that is no. Again, it's a denial of faith. Okay, so let there's me finish the question so our viewers know what we're talking about. So the parent goes on to say, uh, we just went to our parent conference and the teacher said, my son is failing math. She was showing me his scores and he has a bunch of zeros on quizzes. And I asked her what she thought the problem was. And she said, he's missing the lessons because he's at the OT. The OT apparently changed her schedule and comes and gets him during math. I asked her if the OT could change her schedule. Nope, sorry, can't do it. So I asked the teacher to change when she teaches math. Sorry, no can do. I just want to scream and is this legal? So this is a denial of fate, you were saying. Well, it could certainly be looked at in, in, in that way. Um, 
there are very, very heavy caseloads that the related service providers are dealing with, right? I mean, they have, you know, 50, 60, 70 kids that they're supposed to serve every week, and they're just in overwhelm mode. And so they're trying to manage a schedule. There aren't a lot of slots. Probably their union contract doesn't allow them to do after-school stuff. Maybe there's a zero period. So you get a lot of people coming in and saying, I can't do, you know, two sessions a week because I'm only there one day a week or whatever. I mean, the IEP has to... Um, ensure that you're going to make progress in all in all areas and and you know in all areas of unique need but you know also like if your related service is causing you to do poorly in math and i think that you know the argument is that's a denial of faith and they're going to have to find another time to schedule it or if they can't do it they always have the option of agreeing to pay for outside mpa after school services that's not unheard of okay. they don't like to do it but that would be another solution but they can't make you fail math in order to get your OT. It's ridiculous, right? It uh, is ridiculous. You're amazing, and we always appreciate you, and especially in your birthday month. Uh, we so uh -huh. appreciate you being here. We are not here next week because it's Van okay. uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, yes. So uh, we're all going to celebrate and eat turkey and get sleepy. Um, but, but we'll be back the week after. Before I let you go, though, two things. How do you spell McKinney Vento so we make sure that we tag this properly? <laughs> Is it? Uh, M-C- M-C-K-I-N-N-E-Y hyphen okay. Fabulous. And then tell us again about Hirji and Chow before you go. Well, Hirji and Chow is, <laughs> we are busy trying to deal with the fact that there seem to be more and more cases all the time. Yeah. Um, and that's really concerning but anyway um you know we're always happy to talk and we try to accommodate parents if they need an intake that's something that we you know if our schedule permits we offer a complimentary intake we'd love to hear from you the phone number is 310-391-0330 and this would be for people in southern california we can't really uh intake people that are out of state and so on California, yes. The, the 50 states, no. The 49 other states, no. But the 49 other states take a look at COPA. COPA that's, that's a good place to start. Thank you so much, Bonnie, for everything My that pleasure. you do. My pleasure. We celebrate you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Shannon. Happy Thanksgiving. Okay. All right, bye-bye. All right, we're going to take a break, and then when we come back, it's time. We're, I get to play with this on air. Uh, Linda Sai is going to be joining us to talk about the touring tumble. Stick around. Hi, I'm Lisa Ackerman. Welcome back to Talk of Facts. Um, I, we hear questions all the time, and we want to give you the answers that help make your journey in autism easier and more navigatable. Less than a year ago, we interviewed the top 100 doctors in the United States working with children on the spectrum, and we asked them a question in the cloak of secrecy. What are the top three mistakes parents living with autism do? Number one, and my, the one that makes me laugh the most, is when they use their physician as a marriage and family therapist. <laughs> one, the doctors told me it made them uncomfortable, and two, they were highly unqualified to provide that type of advice. So the night before your physician appointment with your MAPS doctor, get together with your spouse, significant other, and write out the list of the targets and the agenda that you want to cover at the physician's appointment. Get in sync. 
then you'll be definitely spending less time and not making that doctor so uncomfortable. Second thing that was the most common mistakes parents living with autism make is they wanna go too fast. And really, you wanna pace yourself in the autism journey. We all know that we wanna get our kid to be the best they can be and hopefully recover from autism. And what a lot of the doctors have told me is that you wanna really pace yourself, one, to let the labs be your guide, and two, work with your physician on the prioritization and the, the delivery of the different medical interventions. The third most common mistake they felt families made was giving up too soon. And what you need to know is they're invested. Um, they're looking at wanting to get the best from your child. But I tell you that when I got that and consolidated the 100 interviews with these physicians, most of the doctors who brought that up had tears in their eyes. Um, they want you to know that they're in the fight with you and they want you to know that hope is really real. It may take hard work and it may take time, but to not give up and to stay in the game. So let TACA help you. We'll have some more TACA facts for you in the future, real questions and real answers for the autism journey. Hey, I'm Candace Cameron Bray. Tom Bergeron. You're watching Autism Live. And you're watching Autism Live. And you're watching Autism Live. You're watching Autism Live. month of September, I figured I'd show you guys how to make a task completion chart to help your kids get through the hardest parts of the day. Parents have been writing into our host, Shannon Penrod, the hardest parts of the day are waking up in the morning, after school, and getting ready for bed. Please keep in mind you can always modify the task completion chart to focus on the skills that your family needs most. The template we'll be using today to make the task completion chart you can find at facebook.com slash autism live. Alright, let's get to it. The materials you'll be needing are the template, cardstock, scissors, hole puncher, glue, pipe cleaner, velcro, and photos or images. We find it more reinforcing for kids if you use images of themselves doing the tasks that you're trying to get them to complete. So what I have here to start off are photos of myself doing all the tasks that we're going to add to our task completion chart today. The first step you're going to be doing is printing the template from facebook.com slash autismlive. I have it here and the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to trim out the top. We don't need that, that's just totally excess. Now that I trim my three templates, I'm going to label each one with a different part of the day that we're focusing on, such as waking up, after school, and getting ready for bed. Now that I've finished labeling the templates with the appropriate time of the day, I'm going to attach the photos that go with it. For bedtime, the tasks I chose were getting ready for school, putting away toys, putting on pajamas, and brushing teeth. Now repeat this for all the rest of the day. Now that I've added the photos to the template, I am taking this along with my heavy cardstock to hold all my tokens. I'm going to line them up and make three hole punches. I'm going to take this pipe cleaner and attach the pages together with it. We're almost done putting this together. Next, I'm going to take my Velcro. I'm going to put them underneath each picture and then I'm gonna add four on the very edge too. 
Now that I've attached the rough side of the Velcro to the template, now I'm gonna take the softer side and add these to the tokens. You can use whatever you want for the tokens, whatever your child finds reinforcing. They could be stickers, images, spacemen, Pokemon, whatever they like. Before you use your task completion chart, it's really important that you do a preference assessment to see what your child finds reinforcing that day. Once you have that established, then you can tell them the rule for how this task completion chart works. So every time they get one of their tasks completed, they add a token to it. And the way the task completion chart functions is like a token economy. So after they put a token under each one of these tasks, they can trade it in for their reinforcer for the day. Now that you've made your task completion chart, hopefully your child will be able to use it on a daily basis and help them through those difficult times of the day. Well, until next time, craft on. Bye guys. Can you see me flying by your side? Welcome back to Autism Live. I finally get to play with my touring tumble, and I'm so excited that joining me via Skype is Linda. And Linda, is it Sai, the last name? Yeah. Fabulous. That is Exactly right. Well, and Linda is from the marketing department from the, the Touring Tumble. And I, I was just saying to her, we have all fallen in love with this. I don't even know. I'm calling it a toy, and I mean that in the highest sense, in the highest regard. But do, you probably don't call it a toy, do you? Right. It could be a toy. It could be a game. You know, we were so honored. We've been picked for Toy of the Year, nominated for that, for um, the Rookie Toy of the Year for 2000. it was that new but we have fallen in love with this it's an award winner this year on our autism live 2018 toy and gift guide i every year we recommend toys to families for uh for different age ranges and different items and always every year we include a marble run in um in the, the toys that we recommend because Marble runs are just so great. They're interesting. They help with building. Um, they help with problem solving. And they have a beginning, middle, and end. And so they're great to use during therapy. So we always include a marble run. And we have a marble run for younger kids included in our gift guide this year. But then when I saw this and I was like, oh, my goodness, <clears throat> this is like a, a, a marble run on steroids that's for <laughs> older kids. And it um, teaches coding. It teaches coding, right. which is so exciting to me. So let's talk about this a little bit. Uh, how do you describe this game? Right, exactly. You can call it a marble run. You can call it, you know, a Rube Goldberg type, you know, cause and effect. <coughs> Ultimately, uh, the creator is really genius from uh, University of Minnesota professor originally, and he decided uh, he has three young children. <coughs> I want to find a game or a toy out there that can really teach my child the fundamental basics of coding. You know, what actually goes on, not just syntax, you know, programming a computer, but what happens inside that box, which I think is a mystery for many of us, you know, including me. And so for really, there was nothing out there was kind of a, a vacuum in the market for a toy that goes that deep. And so he said, well, why don't I try to develop something myself? And therefore, Turing Temple was born. 
Well, it is so lovely. We've all had such a good time with it. One of the things that I, I love about it is that it comes with this amazing guide that is a graphic novel. Uh, and I mean that in, 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 the, in the right sense, using the right words that my husband and my son would tell me to use, that, um, that there is a story that goes with this. I don't know if you guys yes. can see. It is an actual graphic novel. And so there, there's a story that goes, if you're interested in that kind of thing, which I think a lot of uh, teens and tweens would be. But then you get into the manual of it, and it goes along with a story where it will tell you a challenge and you set up the board in a specific way. It tells you, uh, shows you the board and it's all color coded. Some of the pieces are green and some of the things are green and we shoot on a green screen so it's gonna look different to you when you see it on uh, with, the, with the way that Linda's got it. Mine, uh, the little pieces are, are sort of shimmery and not there. But you set up the board and then you, you're told which pieces you can use and what the puzzle is that you have to solve. Uh, and they progressively get harder as you go. And, and there's a, you know, so you set it up, you try to solve the puzzle, the puzzle, and then you do a run to see if you did do it. One of the things that I loved, Linda, was that there were guidelines in here that said, here are the rules. You call this the machine, and that once the machine starts, you cannot stop the machine. We've already run into this with the folks in the office that they'll go, oh no, I, I've got it, I've got it. And then they start it and they quickly see where they went wrong and they go, no, no, let's stop it. And then everybody yells and goes, no, we all agreed we weren't gonna stop the machine. I have seen gr grown adults arguing over this going, but we know what the problem is now. We've had so much fun with this. Seriously, guys, I'm not kidding. Um, yeah, there, I think that's what's so great about this game is it's really allowing you to do trial and error, to solve a problem, to debug the program, if you will. And it's allowing you to do it and kind of program this computer uh, without using syntax, without getting bogged down with, you know, C++ or, you know, the language, the computer language that most computer software engineers would have to use, right? This is actually using colorful pieces and bits and ramps to say, hey, you know, this is actually uh, programming a computer and getting a certain output. And like you said, don't touch it because you have to let it run through and later on debug it to, to get the right solve. Um, Absolutely. So. so I have mine set up on the, the first puzzle, which yeah. we, ha we had such a good time with this in the office because I the first time I set it up and tried to solve it, I was like, oh, I've got this. This one's easy. It's the first one and I've got it. And of course, I ran it the first time and I didn't have it. <laughs> and then and then I passed it off to somebody else and I told them I didn't get it right the first time and they were like oh no I've got it I've definitely got it and it wasn't right and and I said that's okay I didn't get it right the first time either but so then she tried it the second time and she didn't have it the second time and I think it took her three times and she was so mad that it took her more times than it took me and then other people were having such a good time with it we've all cer certainly enjoyed it but I see that you have your board set yes. up a little bit differently so yes. um what what is the puzzle that you have what is the I mission is, for your puzzle yeah right I believe this is challenge six okay make sure I have this right I'm gonna turn to page six yeah you can find six. it in your book yes and, so this is six and it's solved already okay. and what it asks you to do the initial puzzle asks you to 
put in these uh, two of the green ramps and then these center pieces, which are called crossovers. And so what you try to do is get the output. I can show you a book here. It comes yes. up with, you know, the what you're, what you're supposed to start with, which would be at the top, and what you're supposed to end with at the bottom. And so if it's a correct solve, then the marbles should have a red blue red blue pattern at the bottom okay so and you think and you think that you've got it solved right would you I go ahead and I start it? I try, should I, get I, it I would love it if you would try it so people okay. could see I wanted them to see so, it on yours because it's got the right I colors know. oh okay so it's starting with the blue hopefully this works <laughs> there we go so we've got a blue one and yeah. I can't see and the next one should be red it is and they keep going and they keep going It's so, so marbles, yeah. clever. This is a logic uh, problem. Um, and I'll tell you, when, when kiddos get this, they get really, really excited, and then they can't wait to move on to the next challenge. And they do get progressively harder. But you want to talk about teaching problem solving and cause and effect. For your kiddos that really loved their marble runs, man, this is a great, great. And you know what else I was saying about this the other day is that for those of you who complain all the time and say, how do I get my kid off of screen time? This exactly. is the perfect item because it's going to give them a lot of the things that they love about their screen time, but it's very practical and it's getting them off of that blue light for a while. I just that, love this. That's wonderful. Yeah, I do. We've heard from customer reviews lately that this is the only thing that my kid who is, you know, loving Minecraft or Fortnite, this is what they actually will tear away from the screen for. Yeah. And they actually enjoy it. Even one kid was like, oh, Mom, I'd rather play Turing Tumble than use my allocated screen time. You know, yeah. so... I believe it because it's real. I've, I've enjoyed it. I couldn't wait to take it out of the box. And I was saying to everybody during the breaks, I was going to be playing it. And I was. Um, now, and, it, and it's, I love that on the box, you say that this can be for a single player or for group play because we have done both in the office. Exactly. Uh, where we've said, you know, one person is doing it right now or a bunch of us saying, no, you got to put this one here. I can see somebody doing this in a math class. And, and getting the whole class involved in it or having two of them and, and, and giving the puzzle to two different teams uh, and having it be a big reinforcer. As a former teacher, I love it when the lesson is so reinforcing that they don't understand that it's part of the lesson. And I think that right. this fits that bill. So <clears throat> yes. just yeah. love. I can't wait to see what you come out with next. Thank you. And you know, I'm glad that you mentioned you were a former teacher because teachers absolutely are going wild for this. We have a free resource on our website under the education resources tab, and it's an educator uh, guide, which really goes through every single puzzle and explains how it relates to actually the components within a computer. Even how this, you know, crossover represents wires being crossed and how it, you know, relates to things that are nanometers in size on a computer chip, but you can actually touch and feel it here with this game. So yeah, it's been 
going gangbusters. People have been buying 20 copies or so for a classroom to, you know, include it in a uh, either a gifted and talented program or, you know, a computer coding um, type of extracurricular maker uh, space in their school. It's very much a, a great add-on to education educators. I super, super love it. And of course, I don't know if we've mentioned yet, but in the back of your book are all the solutions. So if you're a yeah. parent who's like, oh, but I get frustrated sometimes and I just want to know what the answer is, those are yes. there as well. Where do we go to get the teacher guide, though? Because I, I think as a parent, I'd want to have that, too. Absolutely. www.turingtumble.com. Okay. That is the site you go to for everything, for purchasing the game, for going to get educator resources, um, homeschooling uh, teachers and so forth can get a discount if you just email us. So it definitely is something that you want to look into if you are an educator. Fabulous. And because it's one of our award winners this year, if you go to our website and you are at the very top of our website is a little icon that says toy guide. And if you go to the toy guide and when you get to the, the part of it that features the touring tumble at the bottom of it, there is a link exactly to that website so that you can go right from our guide to purchasing the, the touring tumble. Super, super love this toy. I'm so excited about it. I've been talking about it to everybody. So thank you so much for being with us. Linda. Thank you, Shannon, so much. And definitely check out, I, I, there's somebody on your list that needs this amazing game, toy, gift, whatever right. you want to call it. It's super awesome. Uh, thank you so much for being with us, Linda. We'll look All forward right. to hearing what you guys come up with next. Great. Thanks, Shannon. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, I'm going to go play with my touring tumble while we get, uh, we're going to take a break and we're going to get Anita Lesko on the phone because uh, she is going to be talking with us about the fabulous book, Temple Grandin, The Stories I Tell My Friends. I loved this book this year. It's one of the reasons why it's in our toying gift guide because I think it's the perfect gift to give to the adult in your life that is in any way on the autism spectrum. Whether they are on the spectrum or they're just in the community, I think it's the, the perfect gift. So stick with us, back with Anita Lesko. Um, being part of this community is really important to a mom um, with someone like Jackson because it really does take a village and you need so much support, you know, to, um, to help bring out all of the amazing qualities and um, skills and talents that our children have. So I'm, I'm just very grateful to everybody who was a part of this. with all sorts of that uh, self-esteem, social skills. They seem to communicate a little bit with each other and they had a lot of friends. Um, the helpers were phenomenal. And I think the social skills for sure, because they 
you know, they worked together and they did a couple of group things across the floor and they sang songs together. And I, I yeah, for sure, I think it's a really huge deal. A great program. What programs like this show is the person is in front of what we call today a disorder. I think what we're finding is that uh, these sorts of brain challenges that make people unique can actually be gifts in, in ways we haven't discovered in the rest of society to, to bring them out. So when you see a program like this and you see the kids dancing, having fun, and making up jokes, making up the story, I was here when they did that. That was so amazing to watch because they were all focused, they were all present, they were all laughing, they were all getting into the creation of this story. And um, that to me sort of broke the barrier to say, now well, first we're dealing with people and, and then we're dealing with the challenges. I gotta do the U-turn around the, the thing? Okay. So Kelby, do I want the north entry or the south, or does it matter? Okay. Are we doing curbside bag check? Which way, Kelby? Left? Yeah. Kelby, can I go through the T? Yeah, I have a toll tag. What do you do that, like, you could just have spend two hours doing and have it suck all your time? Oh, I like to look up research, interesting research articles on animal behavior. <coughs> Found a really interesting, really interesting uh, European papers on how wolves are different than dogs that I read last week that was very, very interesting. Very cool. Because I've always talked about a brain can be more social-emotional or a brain can be more cognitive. Yeah. And the wolf turns out to be more cognitive. And we've bred the dog to be more social-emotional. How fascinating is that? Very, very interesting. And wolves are very good at watching another wolf solve a problem. We were talking a little bit about television before, and I cannot believe that what you said to me, what, what, what you like to watch on television. Star Trek. I was a Star Trek fan when I was a teenager. I liked the Star Trek Next Generation. I was watching that when I was working on my PhD in the 80s. And so what Total Star Trek fan. What's your favorite series and what's your favorite character and what's your favorite uh, Mr. episode? Spock was my favorite character. Love it. And uh, what's favorite episode? This oh, guy is gonna hate me. There's a lot of good my favorite Star Trek movie is the one with the whale. Yes. Yeah, I really like that Star Trek movie. And so sad that we lost Leonard Nimoy this year. Yeah. So you, I didn't know that you like to watch television. Do you like to go to the movies too? Oh yes, I went and saw Gravity. There's certain movies that have to be seen in a theater, like yeah. Gravity and Avatar. Yeah. I went to see Inside Out in the theater. That I really liked that movie. What did you think of that? I liked it. I think it's. I think about how all the emotions interact. I gotta be honest. I had said after that that I thought that it was going to be a great tool for for people to show kids on the autism spectrum about perspective taking. Yes. About what it's like in other people's heads. Well, no, it's more like how the emotions inside your own head sort of conflict with each other. Yeah, absolutely. I love the Wizard of Oz and I love the idea of the wizard, of the ruby slippers. She had the way back home. She just didn't know she had it. Yeah. You see, and I think that's a metaphor for a lot of things. 
lot of people have the ruby slippers, but they don't know they have them. They don't know they got the key that can open up the door to a lot of really great stuff. So what would you say was your ruby slipper? Well, I had when opportunities came up, like when I designed those dip bats, um, that was a major uh, breakthrough for my business. And when the head of the feed yard came up to me and asked me if I'd do it, I said, give me three weeks. You know, a lot of people would have been too scared to walk through the door. Now, this is pre-internet, and I knew it would take me three weeks to get some of the information I needed, especially on concrete reinforcement, to design the dip bats. But you did it. I did it. I was on the phone the next day to the USDA to get the drawings on the concrete reinforcement. Wow. So I, I want to journey back to childhood for just a second and talk about friends, because a lot of times people ask about friends. Who was your best friend? When I was in elementary school, one of my best friends was a girl named Eleanor. And she was the first girl in elementary school to get to take wood shop instead of cooking. And I was the second girl in our school to get to take wood shop. So we like to make stuff. It's all about making stuff. And I had good friends in high school. Even though I got bullied and teased, I got friends who shared interests, riding horses together, doing electronics together, doing model rockets together, doing stuff together with other um, with other students. So you found, like your mom says about, found, you found your tribe. Yeah, and yeah. you've got to get them in yeah. doing things with other people. And you did a lot of theater, and you, did you sing as a kid? Yeah, I did. I, one of the problems I was singing is I couldn't synchronize my rhythm with somebody else's rhythm. Do you still have a hard time doing that? I still have a hard time doing that. Because we were, we were going to ask you if you wanted to sing something in the car with us. Well, I think maybe we'll skip there. <laughs> But the one question people always ask us is they want to know if you've ever been in love. No, never have. And, and you don't feel like you're missing anything. I've seen so much turmoil in so many marriages that I haven't really seen a situation that would be a good model. And yet you gave me really good marriage advice. Because I'm a good problem solver. You have to like take the problem and cut it down. And in engineering you have to find the root cause of a problem. What do you think is your secret to your success as a teacher? Well, presenting things really clearly. That's really important. Making things interesting. I think it's also important that it's something in the class that you know, a student can take home and use. I teach a class in cattle behavior and handling, and I've got a lot of students that are pre-vet that are going to go into dog and cat, probably won't be handling any cattle. But I said, you want to design this corral system because it's visual problem solving. You have to figure out how to do it. It's not a cookbook. And then I have my internet project where they can pick out anything in animal behavior and I make them dig into a narrow subject that I have to approve because I want them digging into Google Scholar and PubMed Science Direct and the other databases. They gotta learn how to find stuff online and I'm finding about two thirds of the students are not very good at that. How about this, Make Magazine. <laughs> This is the kind of thing that a lot of kids on the spectrum need to be doing. The cool stuff in here. Really Make Magazine is going to love that you Make did magazine. that. Make Magazine. That's a and wonderful magazine. And I, okay, <laughs> yes, and, and they're resurrecting old satellites from mission control and then abandoned McDonald's. <laughs> That's it. the kind of stuff I really like. These are the kind of magazines we need to get in the school. Make Absolutely. Magazine, Business Week, Science, Nature, Wired. we got to show kids out there. There's all kinds of super interesting yeah. stuff out there. But if the they brain. don't see it, then they don't know about it. I minute. like to geek out on construction oh, sites. Yeah. I like to salivate over all the equipment <laughs> they've got that we didn't have, like really cool man lifts and 
you know, nice scaffolding. We didn't have any of that stuff. We didn't. No, we didn't. What did you guys have? A we compass? A horrid ladder, so we're really dangerous is <laughs> what we have. Parent to parent, you might be asking yourself, how on earth can I afford ABA therapy for my child? Well, the short answer is you can't. No one can. It's really expensive and it's overwhelming to most families. But the story doesn't end there, fortunately. The first thing that I want you to think about is tapping insurance resources. So many insurance companies are paying for ABA therapy right now. So that's your first best bet. Make sure and see if your insurance company is providing benefits for ABA therapy and check back often. Now if you see that you don't have insurance right now for ABA, don't panic, there are still other resources. The next place to go is to your local support groups and ask them what local resources there are. That's a great place to ask for information because often states and even counties have support for ABA. And then beyond that, you might consider applying for grants. There are many fabulous grants out there to help you to get support for your ABA therapy. But most important, it's, it's absolutely essential that you get ABA services for your child. We know that that's essential for all of our children and that you won't be able to do it on your own. So seek out those services and support groups that will help you to fund your ABA journey. It's really important to remember that all behaviors happen for a reason. to start Autism Works Now as a small business because 90% of individuals with autism and related disabilities are not employed after graduating from high school. Our mission at Autism Works Now is to create job opportunities for Spectrum youth and kids through awareness and education.
Welcome back to Autism Live. Skype is not my friend today. I'm just going to say it is not. So we have joining us right now on the phone, Anita Lesko. And if Skype starts to work, we'll have a picture of her as well. But Anita is a friend of the show, an amazing woman. Uh, and Anita, I don't want to tell your story. I, I would rather you tell your story. But Anita is the author of this amazing book, Temple Grandin, The Stories I Tell My Friends. What a, what a great read. Uh, it's one of the reasons why we chose this as our book of the year to be given to adults. And it's featured on our Toy and Gift Guide 2018 I can't think of a better gift if you don't know what to get someone that's in your life that is on the spectrum or cares about somebody on the spectrum and you want to get them a great book or a great gift. This is an amazing book to, to give. So Anita's here with us. Anita, um, I, you know, maybe you want to take just a second to tell folks a little bit about you because your story is amazing. I think Next Temple should write a book about you. That sounds like fun. Doesn't it? Uh, yeah, she she can share our stories that we have when we have breakfast together. You know, when we go to speak uh, at different things together, we always uh, have breakfast together and dinner together and share some pretty wild stories. I bet. Uh, so for people who don't know you, Anita, uh, we we kind of think of you as the real life good doctor, but uh, but not doctor. I you're uh, a nurse, a nest. I can't even say the word anesthetist. Am I saying? <laughs> <laughs> took me seven tries um but you've been how long have you been working in or uh surgeries over 30 years now amazing full-time amazing full-time and, and we're showing a picture of you right now in your lovely cowboy hat um but and you are someone very respected in your field working in this field for 30 years at what point did you get a diagnosis for yourself anita Ago. Congratulations and happy birthday. Thank you, thank you. Um, and so I'm at that age group where uh, back, you know, at that time when I was in like elementary school and high school, you know, autism and Asperger's, all that really wasn't the vogue back then. Yeah. So I was just like, you know, the weird kid that nobody kind of knew what to do with or anything. Um, and we didn't, my mom and I didn't know any better. Um, as we later found out, after I found out, that I'm on the spectrum, we realized she was too. So that kind of made it that she never thought I was really different because she was different. So we were like two peas in a pod, so to speak. I love it. But, I mean, like I recognized that I was different from other people from the time I was like a little tiny kid. And I had a lot of struggles because of that, but that just made me work harder and always keep my eye on whatever my goal was to uh, accomplish it. And then one night at work, uh, back in 2011, uh, one of my coworkers' sons had gotten diagnosed uh, with Asperger's, and uh, I, did, I didn't know what Asperger's was. And uh, she, she was crying, and she was all upset, and I'm like, well, what is Asperger's? So she had some information in her hand, uh, some papers, and she says, here, read about it. And so I, I started looking at it, and um, the top paper was a list, that, it was like a little quiz that said, if you have 10 out of these 12 symptoms, you have Asperger's. So I started reading them. Well, I realized, wait a minute now, I got 12 out of 12. <laughs> and suddenly I realized, oh my gosh, 
this is what what I have. This is why I am the way I am. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that night I went and I got like literally every book off of the bookshelf in the bookstore about Asperger's and went home, read them all. By the morning, I knew without a doubt, um, I had picked the one in particular, Dr. Tony Atwood's book called The Complete Guide to Asperger's Syndrome. And it was kind of like as if Tony knew me his whole life, or my whole life. And um, so then three weeks later, I went and I got a formal diagnosis at, at the neuropsychologist, the same one my, my co-worker had taken her son. You know, I went through all that testing, like three days of all the different tests. And, but by that point, I already knew that I have Asperger's. I'm on the spectrum. And it answered so many questions of my whole entire life. But... I thought it was grand that I finally knew why I am the way I am. It opened so many doors, um, but the biggest thing was I wanted to start helping other people on the spectrum. Um, so that's what I've been doing back that since is that what you've been 2011. Doing. Yeah, you, and you've done an amazing job of that. This is just one of how many books do you have out now, Anita? I have a fourth one coming out this coming April, something very different than my uh, other books. Well, let's talk about what the four books are because we, we chose Temple Grand and the Stories I Tell My Friends as one of our award winners. Uh, but I got to be honest, it was a tough call between that and your one, uh, but I can't, forgive me, say exactly what the title of it is about health care. What, what is the... Right, the, uh, the Complete Guide to Autism and Health Care. Which is an amazing book as well. And so tell us what the other one is and then what the new one is. Well, the other book about the healthcare is uh, because I, I, re I recognized long ago that um, people on the autism spectrum, and that's all I hear over and over everywhere I go, people on the spectrum, they dread going to, to the doctors, any kind of medical thing, because people in the medical profession don't understand autistic people and have all kind of uh, preconceived ideas about it. Uh, people just don't want to go. They don't feel respected. They don't feel uh, like the the, the healthcare providers have any idea about what autism is and how it affects you, you know, emotionally, physically, and all these things. So I realized, I said, well, let's see, I've got, I've been living with autism my whole life, and I'm uh, 30 years as a healthcare provider, medical professional, why don't I put it all together and make a book? To uh, it's, it's directed towards healthcare providers, but also for parents um, to read it and then take it to their healthcare providers for their, you know, um, kind of a little suggested reading, you know, so that the, the, the provider better understands their child and can give better health care. Because if you don't even understand somebody or, or anything about what it is they have, how can you really provide the best care? Well, exactly. Yeah. So that's, um, that's what the purpose of that book is. It's... And, and um, my publisher, Future Horizons, and myself, and we've, it's been getting into uh, – as required reading for like fourth year medical students um, in medical schools across the country. And so we're just keep on going and get it, get into nursing schools, everything, everybody who provides healthcare for those on the spectrum. What an amazing influence. You, you're changing the way uh, medical professionals will treat individuals on the spectrum. You've got to be proud of that, Anita. That's amazing. And now what's the new book that's coming out in April? Okay, it has a working title because um, Futurizes hasn't officially 
determined that this is the title, but at the moment, mm -hmm. uh, the title is called Visualizing Your Future, mm -hmm. Rewiring Your Brain for Success. Um, you know, some months ago, I started thinking to myself, how exactly really did I get to where I'm at? Um, and I realized something that I've utilized my whole entire life was visualizing. Now, as we all know, Temple Grandin talks about it in the movie. We see it in all her books about, you know, that she thinks in pictures. Well, I think in pictures the same way, and I know quite a number of other people on the spectrum do the same. Um, but my whole life, I, I used that. Of course, I didn't know I'm on the spectrum until 2011, but I'm talking back since the time I'm a little kid. I started realizing that I would visualize, I had to actually visualize things to learn things because I learned different than other people. I would have to visualize something over and over and over in my mind. And I'm talking about, let's say, you know, I wanted to learn to ride horses. Well, my body was so uncoordinated, it didn't want to participate in any of that. I didn't even know what my arms and legs are doing, let alone, I could hardly walk without tripping, falling down, or walking to a wall, let alone I'm going to now ride, I want to ride a horse. Okay, so if I found that if I would think about, like, movements and different things over and over for, like, sometimes weeks, depending on the, the complexity of the activity that I wanted to do, um, would determine how long I had to do the visualizing. But so I would do this over and over and literally take it apart in my mind, each little piece of the movement and, and analyze and think about my body seeing, like seeing myself doing it, feel myself doing it and, and creating like a movie in my mind, actually, of what it was I wanted to do. And, and it was like, then I kind of like, I felt like I rewired my brain to be able to perform the activity. I eventually came, went on to be able to ride horses in, in jumping competition over six-foot-high fences. Wow. And I was a kid that couldn't even catch a ball in physical ed in, in, in school that I'd fall on my face and everything. But I wanted to do the horse thing so bad that I visualized that over and over. And there's so much research about, well, visualization and neuroplasticity, which is the ability of the brain to literally be rewired like hundred years ago they thought that's not possible they thought what you're born with that's what you have yeah but all this research um in the past like 30 years 20 years and in, in, in the recent even 10 years and right now it's a really hot topic this whole neuroplasticity thing of how you can rewire your brain if you want to okay so i talk about in this book i use this visualization and rewiring my brain for every single thing I did from learning how to ride horses, how to, for, for my job, going through my master's degree program and, and learning how to become a nurse anesthetist, um, things on my actual job, um, everything that I've done. And so I put this all together and I put down in there also my 10 steps of how I share with other people how to do the visualization process because I realized not everybody is a visual thinker. Yeah. So I, I accommodate for that, and then I break it down into little bitty steps that pretty much anybody will be able to follow it and change their brain. And I've incorporated a lot of um, research about it, um, proven facts. Um, you talk also about, like, uh, elite Olympic athletes. 
use the visualization, um, like Lindsay Vaughn, she's one of the top Olympic skiers in the whole world. And she uses that extensively as do most all the other Olympic athletes in all the different sports, not just for skiing, but everything where they, they simulate um, being on their skis, simulate going down a hill 80 miles an hour in their brain over and over and over till their brain thinks they've actually done it. And so that's what this book is about. I kind of feel like I'm a, a, a true pioneer with this, and I think that it's, to me, I see it as the wave of the future. I for, agree. For on the autism spectrum. Well, Anita, I think, uh, first of all, congratulations to you because you have an amazing life that you've worked really hard for and you have been so instrumental in helping so many people in the autism community and I this book sounds fascinating I want to read it when you when you come out with it in April unfortunately we're out of time we've actually gone over because I'm always so fascinated by what you have to say Anita but I want to remind people that this book uh, Temple Grand and the stories I tell my friends great gift book this holiday season it's featured in our 2018 autism uh, live toy and gift guide if you go to our website click on the toy guide and then you can see all the things that we're recommending this holiday season when you get to this book uh, one of the things that we added this year because you guys said that you liked our guide last year but you wanted it to be interactive you wanted to be able to purchase uh, right from the site instead of going and hunting it so we have a button right there that will take you directly um, to a place that you can purchase the book. The book is available on Amazon and through Future Horizons. Anita, I understand that you have a brand new website, too. Yeah, it's uh, anitalesco.com. Okay. And, and we want to encourage people to go there and check out anitalesco.com. Uh, Anita is just an inspiration to all of us. And I got to say that this book, it's just amazing because what happens is not only do you get to hear stories that you never knew about Temple Grandin, but you're hearing it all from Anita's point of view of her interviewing Temple. So it really is like you get to pull up a chair at those breakfasts that she's talking about and get to be there when Temple and Anita are talking to each other. It's just super luscious. So I highly recommend it. Anita, thank you so much for being with us today. And let's talk soon. Please, thank you. All right, take care. I'm going to say to all of you who are watching, make sure that you watch us tonight at 5.30 p.m. Pacific time. We will be on the red carpet for the Ed Asner Family Center Gala. That's happening at 5.30. We'll be live for the whole red carpet. I believe it's an hour and a half. Who knows who we're going to run into? Wanda Sykes, maybe Peter Frampton, definitely Ed Asner, and a whole cavalcade of other stars uh, who will come out to celebrate Ed on this wonderful, wonderful event. Uh, but until then, give your kiddos a hug for me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now, and happy Thanksgiving if we don't see you beforehand. Bye-bye.